0: So I have many examples of how allies sometimes see something in you that you may not see in yourself, or they may see that you're experiencing something that they should step in and help with. Um, I received a text after all of the shootings that, that took place in upstate New York a few months ago from one of my um, white allies, and he said, I'm here if you need me. That's all he said. Right. So they open up a door and they leave that door open to be there in case you need to step through that door.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Cheryl Kern, Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Millenol. In this episode, we explore the vital role of allyship and sponsorship in promoting diversity, equity and inclusion. Cheryl sheds light on why allyship is critical for promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace and the community, and we discuss the differences between mentoring and sponsorship. Cheryl also reveals the impact of her successful sponsorship initiatives, which she's been a part of. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell, and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi Cheryl. Hi Natasha, how are you today? I'm so good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Oh lovely, so um, thanks again for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Why not tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today?
0: You know, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share Uh, I was thinking about this first question around who I am and how I got to where I am today. And it it really took me back to my childhood, which is where I think obviously all things start. But for me, I grew up in a community that was very diverse, um, but still it had pockets of diversity, if that makes any sense. And so that really shaped me from early childhood to be one of a few uh, in school. Uh, and within the community in which I lived. And so it was very diverse on one side of town. The other town was very not so much diverse. And then we all came together at school. And so I think that really shapes, like at least for me, it shaped who I was as a child in terms of moving and navigating between these two different worlds. And as I grew up and I went on to college, it's kind of a similar environment of like a tribe and a network and a community, but then the real world inside of the classroom was a very different world than the world that I experienced on a daily basis. And so frankly, by the time I decided to go into corporate America, and it was not in diversity and inclusion, it was actually in sales. I went to work for the Xerox Corporation and in the people business learned a lot about understanding people, how they're wired, how they make decisions, and so it was really interesting when several years later I was approached to to and was asked if I would consider uh, becoming uh, a leader in de and And so I've been in this space now 15 years. I consider myself still a curious learning learner and learning every single day. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I got here from childhood until today. I really feel like it's been a true learning journey for me.
1: Oh, fantastic. That sounds lovely. Do you know what? When you were saying about your community that you lived in was quite diverse. And then the other town, it wasn't, that was very much my um, my same experience as well. Um, kind of where we actually lived, it was like a really, really diverse community. Like on our road, there was loads of different cultures. And when I went to primary school, it was, I just remember feeling like there was loads of different kids there, like not just ones that looked like me, but, um, just, just from all different backgrounds and all different cultures. Um, but actually it wasn't until when I went into secondary school, which was, was private school, that actually I realized, oh, hold on a minute. Like the world is is <laughs> a completely different place to what I thought it was. <laughs> and, right. and that's where it was interesting to see the different dynamics from people that were kind of from underrepresented groups, people that looked like me, that were either kind of colored versus people that were sitting in this in a, a seat of privilege from, from, from more of a white background, um, mm-hmm. how the di- different dynamics were. And that was very much, yeah, I agree with you, it kind of started quite early on in education for me. And then you only see it from the kind of a personal setting and, and a social setting, the difference and the imbalance. And then you find out real world experience and what does that look like when it comes to actually being able to thrive in the world? Um, And that that started when I went into corporate America, not corporate America, corporate world in UK, (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the corporate world in the UK. And that's when I realized, oh, wow. okay, so it's not just kind of socially. It's it's way more than that.
0: It's way more than that. And, And for me, I think it was also underscored by the fact that although I did move to a major urban city when I was 14, 15 years old, Prior to that, we lived in a small community, and it happened to be a small community that was also the Fruit Belt area. And so migrant workers would come up from Texas and uh, the Southwest to do work in our community each summer. And so I also got an early education around socioeconomic differences and what they could mean. Um, and these were people that were coming to make a living for their family. And they traveled from, they traveled to where we live, they travel all over the United States and they would follow the crops, wherever the crops were to make a living for their family. And so, because it was a small community, everyone interacted when it came to like the grocery stores and commerce, et cetera. And so I had the opportunity to really see, wow, there are people who are basically, living off of a truck and really in a small camp for this period of the summer before they move on. And so it also struck me very much of kind of insiders, outsiders and haves and have nots from a social economic standpoint. And certainly I think it was just an early education that also helped to shape how I view access to opportunity and equity, like at an early stage in my life.
1: So for you, I know we've spoken previously um, in our prior conversation. And allyship, you've you've is is quite a passion of yours and and <clears throat> something that you do kind of do quite a bit of work within. So why is allyship Im- important for promoting diversity and inclusion?
0: For me, it really goes back to that community and to that tribe. Um, you know, certainly, I am an American born black woman, and I stand firm and proud in that. And yet, at the same time, the reality of it is, I know for a fact that the success that I've experienced in my life, and not just in corporate, just my entire life has really come from having relationships with people who are different from me, that can again, help me on that learning journey and can also help me to understand different perspectives. You know, I will I will often still call on allies. I consider them really friends, but people who are different than me to ask questions around here's what I experienced. What do you think that means? How would you react to something like that if it happened to you? And frankly, they consider me an ally as well. I can remember Um, Right after everything happened with George Floyd, I've got a, a tribe of women friends all over the United States from different demographic backgrounds. And there were some that reached out that just, they just needed to cry. You know, white female, they just needed to cry and they felt horrible and didn't know what to do. And so, you know, we often talk about as people of color, how exhausting it can be. But I try to also understand that as each person stands in their own space and in their own reality, that it might also be exhausting for an ally not to really understand what they can do to help drive change. And so I I just think if, if I just think as humans, but especially I think if you're involved in DEI work, if you don't believe in allies, you're going to be delivering work in a very siloed way. I, I also think that allies are critically important. When we consider the different levels that exist within corporate environments, not all allies have to be someone that sits at the top of the org chart. People can influence from whatever seat they're in. And in fact, I often say. 90 plus percent of most organizations is not made up of leaders. And so we need advocates and allies that sit in all different seats across the organization to help to move this work forward. So They've been critically important to me personally. Um, you know, I can I can think back as an example in the same town where I grew up when I was in the third grade, believe it or not, you and me have both talked about how we're very chatty yeah. and very verbose. <laughs> and I can remember um, my speech teacher. So we had five different classes we had to take. And believe it or not, at one point in time, I was actually slightly introverted and kind of quiet. And I remember him nudging me and saying, Cheryl, you've got to speak up. You've got a lot to contribute. You've got a lot to say, um, and we need to hear it. And it was because he created that psychological safety for me as a white man to an early elementary student that didn't particularly feel like I fit in to that environment that I was in, the class very much did not look like me and that was okay i was used to that but i didn't know that my voice would really matter and i some of these childhood memories never leave you that one has never left me because if at that fragile age it had been a teacher that said what are you talking about i don't understand Mm. but instead that wasn't it he was gently nudging me um to come out of my shell and to speak up. And as my mother used to say, I'd never shut up after
1: that. <laughs> because yeah. Where is this teacher? I don't know whether we should be like, yay or. Mm. <laughs> no, Do you I'm realize joking. what you
0: did to the world? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was a early example of allyship. Um, and there was nothing in it for him, except that he was being just a great teacher, but it has lasted with me all of these years and so I have many examples of how allies sometimes see something in you that you may not see in yourself or they may see that you're experiencing something that they should step in and help with. Um, I received a text after all of the shootings that that took place in upstate New York a few months ago from one of my um, white allies and he said I'm here if you need me. That's all he said right? So they open up a door and they leave that door open to be there in case you need to step through that door. And it it just means an awful lot to, to me personally, the value of having allies in your life and the reciprocal responsibility, at least that I feel for being an ally to others, uh, as exhausting as it can be at times.
1: Mm. I think it's important to remember that when we talk about allies, it's not it's not only, and as people, as colored people, I think is when I say like, I need an ally, it's not just white males as well. And That's it's right. not just them helping, like aiding me or being an advocate for, for me. It's, it's also me being able to share and, and help them kind of become better allies in, in a way. Um, and as you said, it's, it's kind of, a it's an exchange, it's, it's a relationship, it's not one-sided. Um, right. And I think it's important because we we all have relationships um, with all kinds of, of different people. Like, And it's, it's the ones that are two ways that I feel like are the ones that thrive and, and the ones that are the strongest. I know for me personally, anyway, all of my great friendships are all with people that I know that I can lean on them when I need help and they can also lean on me. Um, and the ones where I felt that they were one-sided, well, actually, they didn't last for very long. Um, That's so a yeah. really good point. Yeah. That's a really
0: good point, Natasha. And, and to your point, they are strong relationships and not all relationships are always rosy with pink clouds. And I, I can remember there have been a few times where I was just like, I can't talk to you right now. I'm not in the headspace to actually bring value to this relationship, I need a minute to just breathe and to think and to come back because allies should never be, um, shamed and blamed. That's not what this is all about for me. Um, but sometimes as people of color, as you know, we feel things deeply. And for me, it matters out of respect for those relationships. Um, not to make someone feel worse about a situation than they may already feel, but to kind of step back and to take a deep breath. So I, I value those relationships, I really do.
1: So how do, in, in your opinion, how do analysts, how can allies kind of work through their own biases and privilege, privileges when they're kind of, in order to really be effective allies, basically? So if, if take a white male, for example, if he's sitting here saying, "Right, yeah, I I want to be an ally, I want to be an advocate for women, and and for people of color," how do kind of how do they work through their own privilege in order to do that effectively?
0: I, I think they they have to really move beyond talk and take action. A couple of, a couple of ways that I've seen this effectively be kind of acted on is people who are in majority populations or. You know, to your point, an ally doesn't have to always be a white male. It could be somebody who's differently abled. There could be just another dimension. Right? It could be LGBTQ plus. What I have asked people to consider is going out into communities of difference and finding some entity, organization, alliance that you can affiliate yourself with to immerse yourself truly in the experiences of what it's like to be different to me that's a real tangible act where people cannot just hear but they can feel another's experience and you know yourself natasha the the strong like education that would result from placing yourself into the middle of a community that's so different than you that you have to be brave right that takes a lot of courage but if you're really serious about wanting to develop and grow as an ally, that's that's one way. Uh, probably a little bit less courageous is I encourage people and I do it myself. I'm constantly reading. I encourage others to do the same. Wonderful podcasts like this one that you have are great sources for people to learn from. There's just, you know, there's such a volume of information that's out there. It's endless stream of information that people should actually be tapping into to better uncover and discover like what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. So those are just a couple of examples. I often encourage people inside of our four walls or the screens that we're in, the spaces that we work in to just set up set up a meet and greet A virtual chat with someone who you don't even know yeah someone who you want to get to know and just say I just want to get to know you
1: yeah Yeah, so those are two or three ways no no I love that and if in, in all honesty in starting the podcast I mean that was that was one thing that I did and and I have still do and I still continue to do is literally just reach out to people and to say hey like I love what you're doing. I really wanna learn more. Um, and those conversations then turn into conversations that we we have now and I can share with with even more people. Um, because I think it, as it goes to your point, it, education, like just educating yourself, learning more, uncovering and discovering. I love that um, more is only gonna be better. Like you'll only be better in, in how you treat others and ensuring that you treat others respectfully and inclusively, I think.
0: There there has to be an accountability there, though, because I think all of us are a little bit um, weary of those that may look at allyship from just a performative lens, as opposed to truly you know, if you talk to someone that says, I want to be a strong, and six months later, you talk with them. And it's like, so tell me, what have you discovered since the last time we talked? And it's like, "Uh, I still want to be a strong ally. You're like,
1: okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Got it. So we'll swing back again in another six months, right? And there's going to be more (laughs) progress, right? (laughs) No, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Accountability. But for, so what does, what do you think, what does that look like? What, what is a way that, an effective way to hold yourself accountable?
0: I I think it's to just step right into it. And and as I was even saying that, I I have to say in all seriousness, I know it takes courage, right? I I know that it takes, you have to be resilient um, to actually step into those unknown spaces where there could be initially a limited amount of psychological safety, right? So yeah, it's easy for you to say, Cheryl, that I should go off into some community that I've never been in, or go to some organization that may not even want to have me there. But I think the accountability in and of itself is not so much were you successful, but did you take the active step of trying to show up in a very intentional way? That just just means, to me personally, that counts a lot because that's that speaks to your intent that you're trying to make an impact. And then on the other side, people have to be welcome. They have to open up doors. They have to meet you where you are to allow you to make an impact. But I think the accountability really starts with that first step of saying, hey, I'm gonna step out here and I'm going to try and do something different. I do think in corporate spaces that allies have a responsibility from an accountability standpoint to continually be holding themselves like up to the task of not allowing time and space to interfere with carving out time to be an ally. And it's so easy in the day daily lives that everyone leads for people to say, I just don't have time for that. So I think another simple demonstration of accountability is I make time for this. I don't care if that's 15 minutes once a month. I regularly make time to focus on allyship.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> that's, that, that's, I agree. I think that's, I, I like that idea. Like, is it's just really shelling out the time and just taking a step, taking some form of action. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be successful. I think that's a, a really great, great advice there is that at least you you tried, like you you at took this, you the first step um that's all you can ask for really is for people to try um and then even if things don't go your way at least you can learn from failure as well which is an important aspect which I think many people forget is that sometimes by failing it's probably may may well be the best thing that could have happened um true do you know what I mean so I find what's that saying there is a saying oh I don't know it's it's literally gone from my mind where like the storm is better in the, or I don't know I don't know I don't I don't know
0: there no I don't know either
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember it I'm gonna remember it and come back to you on it (laughs) um so we talk about um allyship and we've spoken about allyship what about sponsorship because there's a lot of is there a difference allyship sponsorship I know some say there is some say there isn't what what do what do you think
0: Mm, That's a really that's a really great question. I've not heard that question before about the difference between the two. I would I would say allyship should be available and open for anyone who's interested Uh, counter to that, in my opinion, sponsorship is earned. Right. So being an ally shouldn't have to be earned. It's as we just talked about showing up with good intent. Um, But sponsorship, in my experience, has been earned. Um, The thrill that comes with being sponsored is typically because someone does see potential in you and wants to use their personal and professional collateral uh, to help you to become even more successful with no guarantees about what the outcome may be but they see something that's in it for the organization. Whereas allyship is probably a more selfless act of just wanting to be available and accessible to make a difference, both making a difference, but for completely different purposes. So I see that, I see that as really kind of the distinction between the two. I don't believe that sponsorship, again, this is why I say it's earned, sponsorship isn't just given to everyone, Certainly mentoring is available for anyone that might want it from peers, from people who are lower levels than you, certainly higher levels, but that's anyone can be a mentor, not everyone can be a sponsor. A sponsor has that seat at the table where they have that organizational influence and their voice carries and has weight when they speak uh, in ways that can influence the career, um, the progress of one's career.
1: Yeah. Mm. And can you share an experience or an example of a sponsorship program that, that you've been involved in that was successful and, and share a little light into kind of why that worked and and how it was impactful to the DEI space and, and to that individual?
0: sure you know so i've i've developed in two organizations i've led the development of sponsorship initiatives and i think the first thing that i would say is that it's a very tricky value proposition how you actually align it strategically within an organization because there is one similarity to mentoring and sponsorship in that you can't force a fit there needs to be agreement between two parties that this relationship can work and an understanding of how the relationship will work um i've only seen initiatives that have worked and it has been because even though it was strategically aligned it was also very much focused on kind of a natural matching of folks which sounds counter to what we need because the natural matching usually wouldn't include people of color it would include majority people and so you've got to be very strategic about how you go about this but i I can speak from a personal experience of my own where i was um, stepping into dei for the first time again it was not my background i sort of ended up there And the person unbeknownst to me, I had a sponsor. And I would say this is another aspect that is frequently apparent to others, but not to the sponsoree or the protege is that you are being sponsored and don't really know it. And this person said to me, basically said to me, I guess, because I was maybe kind of dense or kind of slow, we were having a conversation and he said, you, you do know I'm your sponsor, right? I'm like, no, I did not know that. <laughs> and he said, yes, I, I am your sponsor. And um, I have plans and ideas that I'd like to discuss with you, but yes, I am your sponsor. And I can remember, and I was like, thank you very much, because I really didn't know what it meant. But I can remember a distinct example where I was in my role, just performing my job, And then all of a sudden, my leader came to me and told me that a decision had been made. They wanted to make sure I was comfortable with it, that I was picking up an additional responsibility and team of small team. I've never had a really huge team, but team um, to lead. And I was like, that is really awesome. And she kind of told me the facts to it. And in my mind, I had to sort of hope something like this might happen. And I think I had even mentioned it to her in passing. Well, it was a couple of months later that I came to understand that my leader didn't have anything to do with it at all. That because my sponsor had a great amount of influence in a different space than her, um, he had worked with a few other people and had met with her and had proposed this to her, and as in terms of me taking on this additional responsibility. And as he shared with me, it was such a logical evolution of my role that it made sense. I also then learned later, not from him, but from someone else that was in the room that my leader had pushed back and did not want me to have the additional responsibility. She's too new, let her get acclimated not quite sure she's ready. And so I personally felt the impact of sponsorship and what it can mean to have somebody that has that seat at the table and knows how to leverage their voice. Mm -hmm. And, and I've done the same for many in my career, because Natasha, I will tell you, I am very much a believer that we have to pay it forward, that we have to take all the great benefits that we've received, and all the lessons that we've learned. Uh, I was just on a call this morning with a group of associates and I sent them a note right after we hung up, which was just before this, this podcast. And I reminded them how much they inspire me every single day and how proud I am of all the work that they're doing. And most of them would tell you that I have sponsored them And, and often sponsors are doing that. They're taking a back seat. You don't know that they're there but you know, something is happening and something good is happening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that, yeah. that's, yeah.
0: They're also absolutely. the ones to give you the candid feedback. I can remember this same sponsor saying to me, you need to stop doing this one thing. It's, it's not working for the organization. There's a better way to go about that. I want you to step back and think about the way that you're doing that, because that's not an effective way. So sponsors, sponsors, should never be people who are always just bringing you the good news. They're helping you to understand if you intend to do well here and to progress here, you've got to hear the good, the bad and the ugly.
1: Mm, Yeah, I know that sounds great. And thanks so much for sharing that um, with us Cheryl, because I think it's important um, to get a real kind of example in terms of how sponsorship can really work. Um, just to acknowledge that it's not all positive like it, yes obviously they're, they're there to help to 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 guide and and, and propel you, you to to where you should really be but it's also like they're also there to be real with you I think that's right which is just that's as important right. um because I mean it's good to have a cheerleader but you kind of I need that coach in the corner that's like yeah.
0: That's right. That's a good analogy. You <laughs> Do you know what,
1: you need both of <laughs> the around the <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think um and if you find a sponsor that's that is that, then it's a it's a great combination. Um so how does um as you said, what would you say for you is the most effective way? So if we're if you had your younger self if you look back in your what what's one thing that you would have told her when she was entering into the working world, which you wish you had known?
0: That it's okay to take risk. Because I feel early on, I was afraid to. And it took quite a while for me to get more comfortable with that, but that it's okay to take risk, and not all risks are going to pay off, which is why they're called a risk. Um, I, I would tell my earlier career self that that's actually part of how you achieve your greatest growth is by taking some of those risks and stepping into more of the unknown and just going with it. Um, Obviously I, I did eventually adopt that mindset, but I wish that I had actually done it earlier. Um, And I think there's just a whole host of factors that, you know, who, who's not only nudging you along, you know, who's Who's in that room? Who's around the table? How different do you feel? How much courage do you have? You know, unfortunately, the statistic that we all heard, how most women want to totally excel at something before they go for it, whereas men are like, put me in the game. I'm all in. Oh, no.
1: I know. It's just so, it's so, do you know how, I like, I honestly, I've got a really, like, sometimes look at myself in the mirror and just be like, wake up, just go for it. Do you know what I mean? Because- even with starting the podcast, it took me about a year, a year and a half before I took the actual leap to doing it because I wanted to research and I wanted to, to listen to other podcasts. And and you know, before I felt like I was okay, I could do it when in actual facts, I could have easily just started then and there. But I it's a
0: great podcast. So whatever you did, it worked. It's a really great podcast. (laughs) I've listened to several of your sessions. And so you put in the work, which is good. They're not all are equally good. And so I do think there is something to be said for putting in the work. But I think what we're both saying here is that women tend to put in the extra work. Mm,
1: Yeah, (laughs) we go that extra mile. That's what I mean. Like I think, like, yeah, it's it's but also I think it's because we I think men don't see, sometimes they don't understand the privilege that they're standing in. So mm. for them, they don't have the fear of rejection because they won't, I don't think they necessarily take it take It take so personally. It would be just a case of, oh, okay, small set. I can just go for something else onto the next, or I can work my way through and usually have a connection or a network here or there. Whereas for women, I don't know, I feel like we, we really take stock in where we are and um, and if we get the setback, I don't know, I think we, we tend to dwell a little bit more. Me personally, I say from my own mm-hmm. personal experience, I tend to mm. dwell a little bit more on rejection um, and to then have to build up the network to try and then go for something else. It's just the thought of having to do that is just really long. <laughs>
0: And sometimes these are stories that are in our heads that we're telling ourselves that aren't true. Mm. And I, I yeah, I, I will just leave it at that. I think you've experienced that. Like you said, you could have just gone for the podcast sooner, but you didn't. So there's a story that's going on in our heads So, yeah, really Mm. good insights.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. So thanks again, Cheryl, so much for speaking with me today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and all of the advice and tips that you've given to our listeners. Um, So how can people connect with you if they wish to to discuss this more?
0: Thank you for the platform, first of all, Natasha. They can connect with me primarily on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, to connect there and would just love to be available to have extended conversations uh, with anyone in this broad global community that cares about this work because it really does take a community. It really does take a tribe and I'm still learning on my journey as well. So I look forward to hearing from whoever might be interested in continuing the conversation.
1: Oh, fantastic. Once again, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me and I will be sure to put the links um, down to your LinkedIn social profile for anybody who wants to reach out so they can. All right. Continued success. Take care. You too.